Hey, this is Andy Chrisman, Worship Director at Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this is the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this is a show designed to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. We release a new episode on the first Friday of every single month, so if you haven't already, consider subscribing on whatever app you're using to listen to your podcast on, and you're never going to miss another one. I'm so glad that you're here. This is episode 26, and today's guest is Andy Chrisman. He and three other guys make up the group for him, which had a huge run in Christian music in the 90s, and for over 15 years, He's been leading the worship ministry at Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the reason that I wanted to have him on the show is because I really appreciated how he has led as a worship pastor, especially in these later years. I'm going to be 46 this year, and I recognize that for better or for worse, there seems to be this shelf life with worship pastors. Maybe that's just something that we put on ourselves, but I think Andy has navigated this well, or at least from what I've seen, he's inspired me. Now, there's two things I know about the people like you and others that typically listen to this podcast or watch my videos on YouTube. One is that people typically are in their 30s or their 40s. And I think there's a lot of us that, if we're honest, have moments where we might feel the pressure of not being as young as we used to be and continuing to lead worship, asking ourselves questions like, is it weird to see someone in their mid to late 40s singing a song like Rattle from Elevation Worship? Is it going to look like we're trying too hard? Although the guitars on Rattle sound straight from the U2 Rattle and Hum album from the late 80s, so maybe that's not the best example. But in this conversation, Andy and I talk about this. We talk about how his leadership has changed over the years, how he's brought value as a leader to the ministry. We talk about the blind spots that older leaders need to watch out for, and we also talk about what younger leaders can learn from those that are a little bit further down the road from you. Now, the second thing I know about the people that listen to this podcast is that new people are discovering this podcast every single month. And old episodes sometimes get as many downloads in a month as newly released episodes. So you might be listening to this right when it comes out in May of 2020, or you might be listening to this in the fall, or maybe for you, it's already 2021. And the reason that I mention this is that I think I need to provide a little bit of context. As this episode is being released, We are in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, all that stuff. Public gatherings have been severely limited, and everyone has been strongly encouraged to stay at home as much as you can. And we're just now starting to see attempts to reopen the country and to start to move back towards a normal life. And this interview was actually recorded back in early March before all of this started. But with everyone scrambling to figure out how to do church online and live streaming and all of that, We decided to change course a bit and created content both here on the podcast and on the YouTube channel to address specifically that and push pause on this particular interview. But there's that line in the musical Hamilton towards the end of the second act. After things get really emotionally heavy with Hamilton and marriage and family and personal mistakes, and then Jefferson comes out and says to the audience, can we get back to politics? 
And that's kind of how I feel. I didn't want to release the interview last month because I thought it would just get lost in the sea of everyone just frantically trying to figure out how to do ministry in a brand new way. But I think we're ready to get back to normal. And I also know that there'll be many people that will listen to this well after all this COVID-19 stuff is behind us. Please, someone from the future, tell us that our kids are going to school like normal in the fall please. This is a really good conversation about how your leadership will always be valuable, but how you provide that leadership might change over the years. If you're looking for the show notes page for the episode, you can find that at practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast 26. And now here's my conversation with Andy Chrisman. Andy Chrisman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Hey, the first thing I need to say is congratulations on being uh, an inductee into the GMA Hall of Fame for 2020. That is a big deal. Uh, you know what? It, it is to us because I, I don't know how to, how to explain this to people who haven't been in the industry, but um, I don't know. The four of us just never, uh, I think we hoped it would happen. And it's, it sounds weird to say you hope you get in the Hall of Fame sometime. Right. But but we understand now, looking back, what our career was and how many artists we influenced and the success we had in CCM. We had a really, really good run uh, that was unmatched for, for for a while in Christian music. And uh, But but to be to be honored at this point um, in our, you know, in our journey, I, it, it surprised all of us that we got in as quickly as we did. Uh, because we're kind of the first artist of of our era that that have gotten in uh, at this point, so that was pretty cool. Well, I was even looking at the list, you know, because I'm obviously familiar with the GMAs. I wasn't necessarily familiar that they had a Hall of Fame, but I was looking through the list and I'm like, okay, Don Moen made it just last year. Yeah, you know, names like Steve Green, Russ Tap, the Gaither Vocal Band didn't make it until 2014. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's not like it's not like just everyone is making it in. So it's like to be inducted into it, it's like, you know, wow. I mean, this is a really short list. And then you look at the company, the other people that are in the room, that's pretty stellar. We were pretty stunned. Uh, I'm not going to lie. When we got the letter saying that uh, uh, we had gotten in on our first ballot, uh, it was like we, I like I had to read it like four times and we were all texting each, all the four of us are texting each other and, just saying, is this real? Did we really get in? Is it? I, I feel like Sally Field. You like me? You really like me? <laughs> um, uh, because I don't know. I mean, we were never, we were never the. Uh, uh, sounds weird saying this, but we were never the darlings of Christian music. I always felt like that um, we were the guys that were just steady for you know fifteen, sixteen years and put out some really good albums and people liked us, but we were never the it artist, you know? Yeah. We were never DC talk. We were never newsboys. We really weren't even point of grace. I mean, uh, and I know it sounds weird to say, it just felt like we were a little more behind the scenes and we weren't as, we weren't that glamour group. I think that, that got a lot of uh, secular notoriety or anything like that. So for us to be going in at when we are at this point in our lives and our career, uh, pretty, uh, we're pretty excited about it. I think we all think that we want the things that we do 
uh, how we spend our time, the art that we create, the things we pour ourselves into. We wanted to have meaning and impact. We yeah. wanted to to make other people's lives better, not just be a thing that's just fleeting and withers away and no one remembers. You want it to have a long-lasting impact. We And we know that God breathes life into it, and it's God that drives that. Yeah. But we want to know that our lives, the things that we did, matter. And this is kind of a way just to say, hey, this mattered. You know what it feels like? This is the best way I can describe it. It feels like a, a, a side hug from God. Yeah. And it's God saying, hey, you did good, buddy. You did good. And that's, you know what, that goes deep. That resonates deep with me. Because again, you know, you can look back and see where, you know, wish you'd have done this and maybe we should have done that. And maybe we could have sold more albums or been, you know, we could have toured a little longer if we'd have done that song or made this record like this. Or I don't know. You kind of look back and go, I, I think we did something good. But when you get an honor like this, it's from the industry itself. It's from the people that have been in the industry for the last 30 to 40 years, and they recognize your contribution to Christian music. And uh, again, it just feels like a, it just, it feels like a side hug from, from your dad, just going, Hey buddy, I'm proud of you. It's a really good way to think about it. And I would imagine this is a moment where you're, it's a time of reflection. You're looking back, which kind of ties into the conversation that I want to have with you today. I'm, I'm 45 and I know that I still have a lot of life, that's ahead of me, but I'm also kind of starting to feel that squeeze, so to speak. And you're a few years down the road for me, even from that. So you've got to be having the same conversations with yourself about this. And I know other people that are, you know, around my age that are are thinking similar things. It's it's kind of like worship leading is like professional sports, where if you're over 30, you feel like it's time to retire. And I, I from afar, have always really appreciated how you seem to be navigating this. When I watch on social media what you're doing at Church on the Move, I, I appreciate how it seems like you are navigating all this this change of seasons. And so that's what I want to talk about today. But let's start here. Let's start at this place. How did you know God was calling you to be a worship pastor? And not mm-hmm. necessarily a calling to do music. Those yeah. might be intertwined. I don't know. But what I'm thinking is more like, how you got to a place where you're working actively in a church, leading a congregation, leading worship, being a pastor in a church. I think that when you start talking about assessing the future, it's good to first maybe reflect on the past and the original calling. So for you, what look back and how, describe that to me, what did that look like? So I don't know that God ever actually told me to be a worship pastor. I don't I don't ever think that that ever entered my mind. I, when I was... I don't know, 13, 14 years old, I was in a, I grew up going to a small Southern Baptist church in Waco, Texas. And um, there was some point where they just, they couldn't find the right minister of music. And, or maybe they didn't want to pay a full-time minister of music. And I showed some signs of being able to sing and, and not be afraid to be up in front of people. So I would start leading the hymn service at like 14 years old. And I, I, I was up there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, leading three or four hymns out of the hymn book. So I felt something happen when I did that. Like I couldn't explain it. I just knew, you know, it's like your chest gets hot or, you know, you feel like you're doing something bigger than yourself. Even just leading four stanzas of How Great Thou Art in front of 30 people who are over the age of 60. You know, that's, that was basically our church. But there was something happening. I felt it. I felt a, 
And so it's like I knew God's hand was on my back as I was doing that. And and I had I had deacons that would walk up to me every once in a while and just go, hey, you know you're going to do this the rest of your life, right? And that scared me. That actually scared me because uh, the ministers of music that I knew in the Southern Baptist Church were not guys I wanted to be. I just, I wanted to be a, if anything, if I was going to use my voice, I wanted to go be a pop singer. You know, I wanted to be Phil Collins or Kenny Loggins. That's what I liked. I didn't like what I saw in the church music-wise in the 80s. So I ran from it for a long time. I I knew in the back of my head, you could always, those things that people speak over you and you know they're true, but you don't want to listen to it. You don't want to obey it. That was pretty much my life for the next few years. And uh, man, God just had a funny way of of putting people in my life that pushed me back towards Christian music. And I got into Truth in 1987. And if your listeners know who Truth is, if not, go back and do some research. They were like the they were like the Christian music boot camp of the 70s and 80s and 90s. Yes. Uh, For Him came out of there. Avalon came out of there. A lot of the members of New Song came out of Truth. Uh, Natalie Grant came out of Truth. Uh, there's just a ton of players and great musicians. It was, it was like 320 concerts a year that you did. Like you literally lived on the road and did a concert almost every night of the week. And so that's, that's where God is kind of like, okay, so if you're not going to surrender to me to be a worship leader, then I'm going to push you in here and you get you some training, you know, to actually be in front of people and sing Christian music and, and, and get good at this. And so I was with, you know, pros, 24-7 for, uh, you know, three and a half years. So then For Him happens, and, uh, you know, we, we do our thing for 16 years. And somewhere towards the end of that run, I just kind of have a crisis of of identity, I guess. I, I clearly remember this. It was after a, a show. I think it was after, a, I can't remember who we were on the road with, but it was a pretty big concert. And I'm laying down in bed that night, and I just, I don't know if it was a dream, if it was a vision, I don't know really what it was, but I remember so clearly God uh, showed me me standing in front of him at the end of time with all of my Dove Awards, all of my number one plaques, all of my accolades, and I'm laying them at his feet, ready to hear what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Right. And all God did in my, in my dream slash vision was go, huh, just kind of did his shoulders up and, the, up and down and went, huh. And I mean, I was, I was just petrified. Like I woke up in a sweat. I was, I didn't know what to do because this is all I've done for the last 20 years is do Christian music concerts. And I felt like in that moment, God had said, what are you doing? This is not what I asked you to do. And through a lot of prayer, through a lot of counsel, um, I realized that I was, I was ignoring the first call that God had on my life, which was go to a church and lead worship. So, uh, man, I just was real open with the guys about that. We talked about it. We realized that, you know, none of us had really worked on anything past for him. So maybe this is a good thing to start thinking about life after, after for him. And, uh, man, God just put people in my path that, that offered me opportunities. I ended up at church on the move in, in 2005. And, uh, I was a, they hired me as a worship pastor, I didn't know anything about pastoring. I didn't know anything about leading other people. But you know what? God's gracious and and funny in that way and he taught me along the way. I had great I had great mentors and leaders in my life at that time. And um, you know, I just I journeyed through that for the last 15 years and I ended up being a pastor. I mean, I 
I really, I really ended up being more of a worship pastor than a worship leader. I, I felt like I did both things equally well. And, you know, Dave, I, I say this with all uh, humility. God told me at that right around that same point where he gave me that vision. He said in so many words, the artists have left the church. So this is like 1999. Yeah. Uh, he said, the artists have left my church and they're out there doing this for their own benefit. I want artists to come back to the church and I want you to be one of the first ones to go. And you know what? I could have stayed in for him and made a nice living. And, you know, we could have gone to Branson and had a show and, you know, uh, you know, we could have continued to do this, but man, I just felt like God was saying, this is not what I ultimately called you to do. And it's not that there was anything bad about it, but this was, you know, just a little 16, 20 year detour of where I, what I was really supposed to be doing. And, and I mean, if you go back and look, there was, that was kind of the beginning of the modern worship movement Yeah, to where really the Christian music industry started to crumble from the inside there, right? Maybe two or three years after that. And worship was the only, was the only thing kind of left standing for a while. Uh, and so I, I feel like, again, with all sincerity and humility, not that I was the Moses that led everybody back to the church, but I was one of the first I felt like God talked to, and I took it seriously to say, I'm going to give up Christian music, and I'm going to go lead a church in worship. And I didn't go straight to church on the move. That was what was a great thing. God sent me to Orlando to help plant a church with a friend of mine. And Dave, for five years, we didn't get more than 80 to 90 people in our church per weekend. And here I am singing to three three to 4,000 per for him show. And then I go back to my church of 80 people and it's not growing. And I think God was sending me to my, um, to my desert yeah, to, to, to test me and to see if I would really give my life to this. And if I would really walk away from the thing that I knew best to do this thing that he had planted in my heart back when I was 14 years old. Yeah. And then you found yourself at Church on the Move, which you've been there for the last 15 years. So describe to me how your role has changed over all that time. Oh, well, uh, you know, looking back now, I can see it pretty clearly. Uh, When I first got there, the directive was you sing every song. You put together every set list. You put the band together. You put the team together. It's a blank canvas and a big budget. So you just go do what you've been doing and for him all these years and bring it to the church. That's what we want. Uh, and then it started to turn more towards, hey, what's the purpose of what we're doing? Now, we created a culture of excellence and people love, you know, people are not getting here early for worship, right? Where in a lot of churches, it's like people are showing up in the third and fourth song. And right. we, we created a culture. It's like, you don't want to miss what we're going to do on Sunday morning. So you need to be here early and get your seat. Uh, so we had established that, and then it got to a point where it's like, now where's the younger generation coming in? How do we how do we train more people to do this? And we tried to intentionally get younger on our stage, uh, start to do a lot more Hillsong United stuff, start to do things that were a little more current sounding and forward thinking in worship, a lot more creativity as far as you know, video and uh, live spoken word and lighting elements and. Uh, art and all that kind of stuff that was mixing in with with the worship vibe that was happening. And so I went from being the main singer, the main worship leader that was doing everything to more of a creative that was now saying, how do we put the right people in the right seats as we move forward? 
And I would still sing the big song. I would still be on stage every weekend. But I was now starting to defer to some of our younger and uh, more of our upcoming worship leaders that we wanted to give a voice to and that people began to trust because they needed to trust more than me when I stepped up at the microphone. They needed to trust Jordan and Diana and Dana and and some of these other young artists that were coming up. And then that was probably phase two. Phase three then for me was at what point am I going to take my hand off of the baton and let somebody else now run with this? And so that's probably been the last three to four years for me is, you know what? I don't need to be making all the creative decisions. I don't need to be make, choosing all of the songs. I don't need to be the one putting the teams together. I need to be the one just kind of walking in and say, hey, show me your process. Hey, show me how you came up with this idea. Uh, let me help you set some boundaries and some rules for some things that you can follow and do weekly that will make your process better. So, yeah, I think it, I think it was those three phases. It was, it was all me. And then it was, let's learn how to integrate more people around me and start to teach them to do what I do. And then the third phase was learning how to completely let go of the baton. Does it scare you when you let go of that baton and you hand it to someone else? Or does it, like, what emotion do you feel as you are pouring into that next generation and you're kind of taking more of that mentorship role where you're kind of, when it succeeds and it does well, you're cheering from the back of the room, not necessarily from the stage. Does that scare you? Does it excite you? It would have scared me 20 years ago. I think because, again, I was in my prime and to maybe be forced to hand it off to somebody else, I think would have been very difficult for me. Uh, As I went on, though, I started to see the bigger picture of what God was doing. I think it's important for all, all worship pastors and worship leaders and artists is we get so caught up in who we are and how to make our art and how to stay relevant and stay the stay the guy or stay the woman that, you know, everybody looks to that you miss the big picture of what God wants to do all around you. And not just for that moment, but for the future. And when I was able to let that that open my heart to that and realize that, you know what, I'm going to be long gone. And what have I left behind? Who have I trained? Jesus, you know, one of the greatest things he did was he made 12 or 11 copies of himself, you know, uh, the, the gospel would not have spread around the world if he had not had 11 disciples that could carry on right. and and take what he taught to the uttermost parts of the earth. So uh, that was one of the things that was drilled into us early on in leadership was you have to copy yourself. You have to make replicas of yourself and teach what you know. Um, so, yeah, I think I think early on it would have been tough. And there were some times, Dave, I'm going to be honest, there were some times where I was encouraged to not sing the big song. Or there were times where I was encouraged, hey, we, we want you on stage for the comfort of our church, but we don't want you to sing anything. We want you to let these other people shine. And there's that's tough. That's tough on the ego. That's tough on, you know, going, oh, um, do I'm not needed anymore? I mean, the devil can really get in. Get in your headspace. Oh, yeah. He can mess with you, tell you you're not, you're, you're, you're done, you're washed up. You might as well pack your bags. And if you don't deal with that quickly and find some people around you that can talk you down from the ledge, <laughs> and and if you don't really spend time with the Holy Spirit, you'll get caught up in that. And I see that. I do see that all the time with people. It breaks my heart that uh, I see people that feel like they're pushed out uh, when really God was probably telling them to go and let go because we don't know. We're going to get to heaven 
just like God shrugging his shoulders going, huh, when I gave him all my awards. I just I just realized, man, I, I don't know. Do I really know what impact I'm having? I mean, is it really the songs I'm singing? Is it really the worship I'm leading? Is it really the the concerts I'm doing? Or is it, am I supposed to be that person that that witnesses to the next Billy Graham? Right. You know, am I supposed to raise up the next Chris Tomlin? And nobody remembers my name, but they remember Chris Tomlin. Is there one thing that you find yourself saying over and over to these younger kind of up-and-coming worship leaders? Uh, yes. Uh, I think probably the, the phrases or the words just relax. Hey, relax. You got this. Quit, quit trying so hard. You know, most musicians that are on stage have been making music naturally almost their whole lives. Uh, it, music for most people that have the guts to get on stage, it's, it's not hard. Um, people who are not musicians would scoff at that and go, Oh, well, I can't play music or sing. It must be a difficult thing. For those of us that do, it's not that hard. And now we always want to get better and we want to we want to train ourselves to do things that we're not able to do right now. But at some point, you just want to get on stage, just relax. Don't don't try and, and wow me. Don't try and push me where you want me to go. Just relax, do your thing. God is okay with you. God right now is smiling at you. His countenance is turned toward you. Like in the book of Esther, the, the king's scepter is is extended toward you, and he is encouraging you to come because he has no malice against you. Take that into worship and just relax, be yourself, and enjoy being led by the Holy Spirit to lead your church in worship. Do you find in this kind of this younger generation that there is this maybe increased push to like have it all together so early? Oh, Absolutely. Because we live in an Instagram world. We live in a world where everybody puts their highlight reels up and we're all chasing each other. Um, you know, you can look at, at churches that look like they just have it all together. They're nailing it every weekend because their videos are incredible and their sound's amazing and the energy's off the charts. And you look at you what you're doing and go, well, we suck. Yeah. Well, we can't, you know, well, we must. We can't even touch that. Right. So maybe I just need to go get better musicians and write better songs, and I got to try harder. And then you realize, you know, at some point, you forget that it's that's not all about you. You know, we try and build our own kingdoms because we see other people around us. And you know, again, I've seen this with my young leaders too. They look and watch people online and just go, "Well, why aren't we doing that? Well, I must need to move to L.A. Or I must need to move to you know Elevation. I must need to go to Hillsong." Because that's where the great stuff's happening. And if I want to be a success at 23 years old, I got to go there. And it's just not the way to think. Um, And I just think that, uh, I think you're right, that young musicians and worship leaders now feel the pressure of having to hit it big at 22, 23 years old. Where when you and I were, were coming up, there weren't a lot of really young artists, right? They were right. seasoned people, people who had done a lot behind the scenes and finally we're given their shot. Let's take sports, for example. I mean, one of the most celebrated positions in all sports is the quarterback, the NFL quarterback. And, how you know, you and I grew up in an era where where um, Aaron Rodgers sat the bench behind behind Brett Favre for how many years yeah. before he ever got his shot? Steve Young sat behind Montana for how many years before he got his shot? Uh, that was a story of success in the NFL for a quarterback was you sat under your mentor for quite a long period of time, learning the game, learning how, learning the system, 
you know, learning command of your craft and your offense. And then you got your shot when that guy moved on. Now it's like, man, draft him right out of college. They're starting at 19. It's just a different world now because there's so much opportunity for everyone to be seen and be heard that that is lost. The training is lost. The waiting is lost. Nobody wants to wait anymore. And I think that's a problem. So let's talk about people that are more closer to our age. Is there any blind spots that you see worship pastors that are in their like 50s that they need to be aware of themselves as they're kind of moving into maybe a dis- different season in what they do? Uh, absolutely. Um, and again, I'm, I'm a prime example of this, of of losing touch with generations. And man, if it happens quickly, because you know you may have guys in your staff, let's just say I'm so I'm 53 now, but let's just say I'm 40, and I have young guys on my staff that are in their early 20s. Well, in three years, there's a whole new group of people coming up underneath those 20-year-olds from high school that uh, have been watching YouTube, have been, you know, they're they're inundated with information online. They're becoming better players quicker. They know more than we knew at their age because of all the information that's out there. They see more of the world. They're ready to go. Uh, there's more you know, a lot of places there's more money flowing into their lives than there was when when you and I were kids. Uh, their opportunities are there, and as we get older, we get comfortable with our surroundings, and we go, "Well, we got our guys. They're in their mid twenties or early thirties. We 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 start to see thirty year olds as young, right? Right. Or we start to see somebody complains to me now that they're about to turn 40. I'm like, I would love to be turning 40 again. That sounds great to me. <laughs> I remember, and you might've done this too, like when uh, when I was growing up, you would get the calculator and you were going to calculate how old you were going to be in the year 2000. Yeah, exactly. And I and I remember doing it. And for <laughs> me, I was going to be 26. And I was like, oh, that just seems so old. Yeah. And now, I mean, I, I, I have a hard time remembering 26. And I, I tell you, People who are 26 now, and if you're in your 50s, you realize that's double your age. Yeah. Like, that's a whole lifetime lived that you have lived uh, beyond this person. And it's it's exhausting to try and keep up with the trends and where, where art is going. The language, the language changes every two to three years. I can't keep up. And you can be a 35-year-old and start to feel old because the way you talk, the way you think, isn't the way people are thinking the people that are coming up in leadership that are coming up in your church aren't thinking that way anymore. And so the danger is you can partition yourself off and go, well, I just, I am who I am and this is the way I'm going to lead. And you're going to continue to lead in not looking back at the people that are coming up and letting them have influence over you. And it is, it is a, it is a balance. You want to have the wisdom that you, you want to use the wisdom that you've, that you've gained over the decades, but you also want to stay open to what young people are thinking, uh, where change is coming from, where music is heading, where worship is heading, where ministry is heading. And I think the older musicians and worship leaders can hold on too long, too tightly to say, nope, this is what we do. This is what my pastor likes. And we're just, we're just going to keep writing this out until somebody knocks on my door and says, you're done. And that's really tough. When you're, when you're 45, 50 years old and you get that knock on the door to say, you know what, we're going to make a change here. We're going to go with somebody younger. That's a conversation you don't ever want to have. I just, I encourage people that are in that position that are older, start loosening your grip now. Start letting go of of not just tasks, but responsibilities and decision-making. And then guide from a different level. 
there was a great uh, message I heard from T.D. Jakes uh, years ago that talked about the journey of Moses. And, and he said, Moses, Moses had three journeys. He, first, he walked among the people. Then he walked in front of the people. And then he walked above the people on the mountain and directed from up there. And at some point, you have to realize where you are in that journey. Are you among the people? Are you in the demographic that is bringing change and excitement to worship? Or are you out front going, hey, we're going this way. Uh, Let me give you some responsibilities. Uh, I'm hearing from the top. I'm going to take you this direction. Or are you at a place where, you know what, I'm just going to make some minor tweaks from from my position a little bit above where you are, because now I can see from a, a wider vantage point of where we're going. And again, my advice to older leaders is start loosening your grip if you haven't already, because what you don't want to do is have someone come pry your hands open. That's painful. That's difficult. And that takes a long time to get over. It can destroy you. So how do you do that? How do you loosen your grip and make room, make space for these up and coming leaders? Well, I started with, um, I really tried to put people around me that I believed in, that that I saw leadership potential in, and I just went. I wasn't afraid of making a mistake on maybe that's not the right woman, that's not the right man to put in this position at this point. I was just kind of like, no, the Holy Spirit will will stop it. If we, look, Jesus is in charge of the church, not me, and so I trust that He will give me the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to know who to put in leadership behind me and when to start letting things go to them. So what I was able to do early on with a lot of, honestly, a lot of good pressure from my pastor and my executive pastors to say, hey, we're going this way. And if you don't want to go with us, then we're going to have to have some conversations about your future. And thankfully, I was open-handed enough to go, hey, I think I get it. I'm starting to see the bigger picture of this. I don't want to hang on as the guy that has to do everything and be the center of attention graciously God gave me the the opportunity to see the bigger picture and so I just really started packing young leaders around me that I believed in and started giving them leadership opportunities and not all of them made it you know made it through the to the finish line uh, many of them did and those are the ones I started to build around and then you know what I would just start it wasn't about being lazy it was about being strategic of saying you know what I'm not going to work with you this week let's see how you do I have confidence that you're not going to run the train off the tracks. You're not going to burn the house down while I'm gone. So you know the rules. You know how we do this. You make the decisions. And I was just looking for little wins, you know? And if I saw a win that I wasn't a part of, if I saw movement in the right direction that I didn't push for, that was a that was a time of rejoicing. That was a time of sitting down going, all right, we've got the right leaders in place, and they're making good decisions. And the more good decisions they made without my help, the more I realized, okay, we're, we're heading in the right direction. I can start to take a step back. And honestly, Dave, I was getting paid at my church almost to not show up. <laughs> you know, I had my, my direct report tell me, hey, if, stay away as much as you can. Because the more you stay away, the more they have to make decisions. And then you can come back on Monday and go, We'll pay you well to come in on Monday and just go, hey, try this. Think about this. You you almost got it here. Try a little more of this and then let them go again. Which seems so backwards. I know, right? You know, Andy Stanley talks about working yourself out of a job and replacing yourself, which That's right. seems backwards. But when you start doing it and you realize, okay, instead of having one Andy Christman, I mean, I can have 10 
Andy Christmans. Right. And, you know, and, and, and Andy Christmans that are like planted into different generations, there's a ton of value in that. But Andy Christman doesn't think fondly of another nine Andy Christmans running around. I want to be the only Andy Christman yeah. in, in my flesh. And that's a process. Man, I would just say if, there's a, if you're an older leader, it, let's just say older meaning 35 and up, and you don't have some men around you that can encourage you, that can speak honestly with you, that can help you to start to let go and pry your grip away from some of these things that you're holding on to, you need to find those people now, not later. Find them now. And, and start to find what your identity really is in Christ, not your identity on the stage, not your identity on the staff, not the identity in your salary and your benefits, but your identity in Christ. And here's one thing I found, Dave, is that the more I started to let go of my identity at Church on the Move and what I was known for there, the more God was able to help me turn my focus to some other things that I was like, wow, I, you mean I get to do that now? Wait. You mean I can go do that? Now I have time to do that? And God was like, I was waiting for you to relax your grip and let me turn you to some other things that you hadn't thought about before. God's never done with his servants, ever. He always has something for us to do. It's just sometimes we get so stubborn that we think that I'm really good at this. It's the only thing I can do. I get notoriety and acclaim for it. I get paid for it. And so I just have to stay here as long as I can And it's just, it's never going to end well that way. That's such good encouragement. Andy, are you ready now for the bonus round? Oh, I guess so. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Bonus round coming at you at three, two, one, coffee or tea? Coffee. Early riser or night owl? Uh, night owl. Really? Yeah. I would have pegged you as an early riser. I, I hate getting up early. I do. I get up at 6 o'clock every morning, but I hate it. I hate it. I would rather stay up and watch a movie or watch a basketball game. Favorite TV or Netflix show? Breaking Bad. Have you been in it from the very beginning? Well, since season, about halfway through season two, I got into it. You remember when you could go to Netflix, or not Netflix, uh, Blockbuster and rent DVDs? Yes. That's how I got into Breaking Bad. That's how long ago. My word. That's amazing. And now I love uh, Better Call Saul. I think it's amazing. Cat or dog? Dog. In and out or Chick fil A? Oh, oh, you're hurting my heart there. <laughs> Can we split that vote? Uh, <laughs> if you'd have said uh, uh, Shake Shack or Chick fil A, no, I would go Shake Shack. But uh, uh, no, I'm going to split my vote on that one. Okay. Favorite book every worship leader should read? Oh. If you haven't read Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards, read that. I just finished uh, If I Perish, I Perish by Major Ian Thomas. That's a great read. Uh, oh, I'll tell you one that, that really that really changed my way of thinking a few years ago was uh, Discover the Mystery of Faith by Glenn Packiam. I would highly recommend that. Sounds awesome. We'll put all those in the show notes. Crunchy or creamy? Creamy. First car you ever owned? Uh, 1982 Red Malibu Classic. Everyone has the red cars. Every mm-hmm. All the people I ask, for whatever reason, their first car is red. I don't know what that yeah. means. I don't either. Favorite social network? Uh, Instagram. What's a hidden talent that you have that only a few people know about? Wow. Um, I don't know. I can whistle really well. My, I, I've always had a... Uh, 
I learned how to whistle from my dad, and it's always been my dream to whistle on an album. Have you ever got the chance to do it? I actually did it on a, I, I wrote it and, and produced a commercial here locally, and I whistled on that, and that was that was pretty special. I, I, I bought myself a steak dinner after that. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is the bonus round. Give it up for Andy Chrisman. How'd I do? You did fantastically. Did I win? Um, sure. Yay. <laughs> so what is something that, as you're kind of like reflecting on your time, uh, you know, in music and the fa- past 15 years at, at Church on the Move and just the different seasons that you've been in, when you kind of look back, what is what is something that maybe has brought you the most joy in being a worship leader in these last five years or so? Um, I really think it's 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 how many great young leaders I've seen come up in our church. And I don't want to say under my leadership, I and mean, it has been under my leadership, but it's been under the leadership of our, of our executive staff and, and our pastor with George. Uh, it's been exciting to, and, and very satisfying to see how um, these young leaders have come up with a heart for the people of our church and not just to make great music. Um, you know, church on the move has been known for excellence for a very long time and I will tell you, and I think the staff of our church will tell you this, excellence, uh, for excellence's sake, is exhausting. Yes. Uh, because you're always trying to top yourself, and then, you know, you feel like you have to you have to give people something new every weekend, every Christmas, every Easter, even bigger and better. And you start hearing, you know, you'd walk off from a massive Christmas service that you just poured your life into, and you walk off stage, and somebody walks up to you and says, oh, what are you going to do next year to top it? And you just go, oh, God, please, I can't talk about this today. Um, we just realized that, you know, we were, I think that excellence for excellence sake wasn't going to take us where God really wanted us to go. So, uh, man, I just, I love that we have a lot of young leaders now that are are running a lot of what's happening with worship at Church on the Move, and their heart is authenticity. They just want to be in the presence of the Lord. They want the Holy Spirit to move through them. Uh, they want to make awesome music, but they also just want to serve Jesus. And to me, that's the most satisfying thing that I'm seeing. And I, you know, as I as I start to transition to do other things and not just not just serve at Church on the Move, man, it just makes me so happy that there is a a heart of of true worship that's that uh, is happening there right now. Is there anything that you would do differently if you had the chance to do it all over again? Oh man, I think we should have another podcast for that. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I mean, you know, you're not supposed to live your life in regret, and you know, one thing that gives me uh, peace is Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. So I don't, I don't have any regret that keeps me from moving forward or keeps me awake at night. But yeah, I mean, I wish we had written more music. You know, I look back at 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 for him, and I wish we would have. Uh, maybe done our tours a little bit differently. We would have rested more. You know, I think we should have taken more time off. I think we we could have made uh, more creative relationships throughout the years. I think that uh, at Church on the Move, I think we could have raised up more artists. We would have given more people opportunities for their gifts to shine. Yeah, I think I, I do have regrets. Uh, I wouldn't be human if I didn't. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you go, you know what? Had I done that, had I you know, invested in those things a little more. If I hadn't been so worried about these things, I could have gotten more accomplished. Uh, But in the end, I don't, you know, I know that God used my foolishness 
uh, to do what he wanted to do. And like you and I said earlier, Jesus is in charge of the church. And if I think that I'm the one getting things done, I'm fooling myself. I loved it when Andy said that God's never done with his servants. He always has something for us to do. But in worship ministry, that might look different at different stages in life. At the beginning, Andy did it all. He put together all the set lists. He sang all the songs. And then he moved into a season where he began to put leaders in place around him and spent his time training them. And then there was a season where he began to loosen the grip and let his hand off the baton. You start to give away not only tasks and responsibilities, but actual decisions and authority. And in all three of those stages, his leadership is valuable. It just looks different. And I think it's important to always be working to make copies of yourself. How are you passing on what you've learned and what you've experienced and allowing the up-and-comers to benefit from that? For me, that probably explains why I like to do this podcast and make videos on YouTube. But whatever your sphere of influence looks like, you have a lot to offer, and these younger leaders need your wisdom and your guidance. But they also need space to lead themselves and to make decisions and to fail at times and then to learn from that failure. If you want more information on any of the things that we talked about in this episode, check out the show notes page. You can find that at practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast 26. And since you've made it this far into the podcast, you should do this right now. Take a screenshot and share it on social media. I always love seeing where you all are listening to the show from and what you're doing while you're listening. Not only is it cool to know that you're listening, but it's fun to know when you're listening and how you're listening and what you're doing while you're listening. And when you share it, tag me in it by using at Dave Dolphin. Okay, and thanks to everyone that has written an honest five-star review and rating on iTunes and on the iOS podcast app. The reason why those are so important is that those reviews and ratings are what tell iTunes and all that to suggest this podcast to other people that have similar interests so that more and more people can benefit from this. And if you're listening to this from Google Play or Spotify or TuneIn or Stitcher, thank you to you. As well, this has been the Practical Worship Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month. 